Cole Cabana's on AEW Unrestricted. I've always been a person who impresses people over time. Like, that's always been my theory. I'm always a slow burn. That should have been my name. Slow burn Cole Cabana. <laughs> so join me and Tony Schiavone for AEW Unrestricted, powered by State Farm. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Be Hello and welcome to BR Football Ranks, your favourite football podcast in these trying times. My name is Jack Collins and as ever, I will be your host today. And joining me, Mr. Sam Ty, how are you, sir? I'm good, mate. I'm good. The sun is out, so I am happy again. It is making quarantine season a little bit easier to digest and deal with. And Dean Jones, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Like Sam says, the uh, weather definitely makes a difference when you're trapped inside your own home, doesn't it? So having a garden right now, absolute blessing. Absolutely. It's one of those weird, weird times, boys. I'm just going to start this by seeing how you are. Dylan seems like he's having a lot of fun, Dean, in these times. Yes, obviously. He's only two, but he is now got his own news channel on Instagram, Um major hit he is of this um, epidemic and these sad times so that's one positive to come out of that um, he's also watching a lot of Tom and Jerry which he calls Tom and Kearney which I love of course came up with that himself as well yeah so definitely um, I think I've got a genius on my hands but um, also the other side of having a two-year-old is the tantrums are absolutely insane especially when he's been cooped up in a house all day so days it rains are bad but, um, you know, it could be a lot worse. If that's the worst I'm dealing with during this uh, coronavirus, then I'll have to take it, won't I? Absolutely. Sam, how are you? What's new? Um, the pets, yeah, the cats are keeping me sane still. Um, but uh, really, it's Football Manager that's keeping me going. Obviously, a couple of weeks ago, we did a How to Survive Without Football and Football Manager was was was, was fairly well mentioned and I've, I've still played two, three hours a day. Like, uh, what, what else am I supposed to do while eating my sandwich at lunch? What else am I supposed to do after dinner? Like, spend time with my fiance? No, thank you. You got any new addictions, by the way? No, not really. Have you? I've got, yeah, I've got a chocolate addiction, which I didn't have. Yeah. You've always had a sweet tooth, though. But you know, I didn't actually. Until we had a baby, I didn't. And then chocolate kind of got me through the first few months of that. And then I came off it again. And then I honestly am eating more chocolate than I knew was possible. Like, you might not recognize me when when you see me next, if you see me next. Um, 30, you're going to be like the end of dodgeball where the bloke, you know, <laughs> just sat there on the sofa. Honestly, I reckon I could be. I reckon I could be. I'm going to have to start balancing this out with some runs. Absolutely. Right, let's go on to some football. And today's topic is 100 million plus signing Sam Rank. So explain to us a little bit how you did the background of this. Yeah, so if you take it as Euros, there are 10 players that have transferred for 100 million or more in in the history of football. So a nice round number, almost perfectly built for a BR football ranks. It's like they did it for me. So I have ranked those 10 players, those 10 transfers, in terms of how successful they have been. Coming up with ultimately the best ever 100 million euro or more transfer of all time, down to the 10th best. Um, to set this up, like it's quite important to know how I've judged it. And obviously, you can feel free to judge it differently. I took into account like almost everything I could. Performance, availability of injury, uh, moments they've produced, trophies they've won. Can you get your money back on the other side? Will it just be a dead investment? All those things. I've done what I can. And to be honest even crunching through all of that 
there's quite a few here that you just it's just so hard to be sure on which will make it a really interesting discussion i hope and will hopefully lead to a variety of opinions um three of the ten are in their first season so we have to be fair and we have to be a little bit careful with that because you can't just judge a transfer after one season regardless of the fee let alone when it's 100 million euros or plus uh so i think we'll begin at number 10 if you're ready um and it's yeah let's 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 get it it's Usman Dembele, Borussia Dortmund to Barcelona in 2017. He cost 105 million euros, which is about 113 million dollars. And I've got him rock bottom. What's your initial reaction to that? I mean, spot on, isn't it? I mean, this is for me slightly. I mean, look, there's there's a lot of wonderful footballers on this list, and so it's hard to judge them. You know, tenth in this list doesn't necessarily make anyone a bad player, which is quite you know important to lay out straight away. There's part of me that still thinks that Barcelona feel that this is a good investment. And in terms of how they, you know, the noises coming out of the club of recent times where they're saying it would take a mammoth offer to make him leave and they still feel like he has a future, that screams to me that they still think that Dembele has, you know, potential to offer the club. And it does, obviously there's been massive injury rated in, uh, things and, and huge kind of output problems. But on the whole, like, I still think that Usman Dembele has the potential to be one of the best players in Europe. I think he has amazing potential. And at 22, obviously, most of his career is still ahead of him. And we all know that he's brilliant. But the problem for me is that the situation is is thus. He's missed a lot of games injured, as you referenced. It's more than 60 for Barcelona. His hamstring is in serious trouble. He's had surgery on it after multiple pulls and strains. He got ruled out from February to the end of the season. That's how we ended up with Martin Braithwaite. And for a player that's built on uh, quickness and a dribbling skill and a speed, that is a concern, like it has to be. Um, his attitude has been questioned quite a lot. A lot of reports have cited dietary issues, late bedtimes, late to training, multiple fines as a result. Like His head has not quite been in the game. Now, again, young player, hopefully it improves. But this is 105 million euros with another 40 million in add-ons. Now, call me cynical, but I just don't think those clauses are going to be met. I mean, he's made five starts this season. He's just not a particularly reliable player. And that's such a massive shame because he is brilliant. He scored some incredible goals, like the, the solo goal against Tottenham. Do you remember when he just completely ruined Kyle Walker-Peters? He's uh, scored some incredible goals for Dortmund against Bayern in the Cup. I remember one particular one where he smacked the, the crossbar and the post on the way in. There's a lot to love here. He even takes penalties with both feet. Like, is this a player I like? It just hasn't gone very well. He's going to enter the fourth year of his deal, of a five-year deal, next season. And I, I would argue that his stock is an all-time low. That, a sale might genuinely be impossible because what would you be willing to pay for Dembele at this point? 40, 50? Well, that's a big question. Dean, what, what what would be the money? What what would be the offer that clubs would be willing to pay for it? Well, they're never going to get their money back on him, um, especially in this post-coronavirus season. Um, you know, when the transfer market reopens, we're looking at a totally different type of market. There are very few players that are going to hold their value. Jaden Sancho might um, because of his age and potential and the fact that he's already shown what he can do and hasn't had the kind of injuries anything close to what Usman Dembele has had. I mean, before joining Barcelona, he just played a 50-game season for Dortmund, had no problems, and then it's been setback after setback for him since he made the move. He's missed 79 matches, I think, um, since he joined them. And like Sam says, hamstring damage, thigh damage is not ideal for a player of his mould. I remember when I was talking about Michael Owen recently and how he felt that he peaked at 19 because the type of injuries he picked up stopped him from being 
as impactful as he had been before. And that's exactly what could happen here. Look, he's an amazing talent, but the big test for him um, is going to be mentally. If he, Even if he can come back physically from this, how does he get through it mentally? I mean, that latest setback with another injury in February, that must have torn him apart. And I think that he's really, really going to have to stay focused and driven and for somebody who's spent week after week after week of their childhood, teenage years, being such a good footballer and just constantly just playing, 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 to have stalled so much is going to have an impact. And we're only going to know once he's back playing. And it's difficult to see how you come back from this many injuries in such a short space of time and then kind of have a flawless career from that point on. So, yeah, I, I don't think Barca are going to get their money back on him. I think they'll try and give him a chance to make it work because it's probably in their best interest too. I think, I think they have to try and make it work because I think the best case scenario for Barcelona in this instance is that he has a bounce back year in year four and then either they can decide to sell him heading into the final year of his contract or he's so good that they extend him and he becomes a footballer for them again. Like that, That's the yeah. best case scenario. But you are actually hoping that that's the case. Like He has to get over a six-month hamstring injury for that to even be possible. And that's why he's 10th. He's a, he's a phenomenal talent. It just hasn't gone for him and it is such a shame. Well, then let's move on to nine and see who we're comparing him with, Sam. Yeah, it's another Barcelona transfer. It's uh, Felipe Coutinho. 120 million euros, which is 130 million dollars, moved from Liverpool to Barca in 2018. Um, this is difficult to know where to start with here. I find this whole transfer really confusing, and I'm trying not to apply too much kind of 2020 hindsight to the situation because I do think it made sense for Barcelona to try and sign him for them to pursue him at the time. He was one of the best in his position group. He was 25 years of age around that uh, at the time, so. In the, in the middle of his 20s, like in the sort of peak area, um, he would be joining former teammate Luis Suarez at Barcelona. At one point, it seemed like Neymar was leading the charge to get his Brazilian uh, Brazilian buddy over to, to, to Barcelona to replicate that, that connection. But by the time Coutinho had arrived, Neymar had gone and he'd been sold to PSG. And since then, Barca have literally tried to flog Coutinho to PSG to get Neymar back. What the hell is happening? And like, it never really felt like they planned properly for Coutinho. He, on surface level, he feels like a Barcelona player because he's technically very talented. He's very good on the ball, good dribbler, good passer, scores beautiful goals, plays beautiful football. But Valverde never knew what to do with him. He was ne- Coutinho is not the physical, hard-running central midfielder that Valverde used in Paulinho or Arturo Vidal. Coutinho didn't really fit the mould for the winger either. And... Does that change under Setien? That's that's the key question here. Do they bring him back and does he improve under Kike Setien? Because that could salvage the career. My main concern there is that Barcelona need money badly. Yeah. And Coutinho is absolutely their biggest payday in waiting. Like if they could sell Coutinho in the summer, that would be the biggest chunk of cash they could find, whether it's to balance their own books, to pay their own wages, or to fund Neymar's return, which they so desperately need. Whatever the scenario is, it feels like Coutinho is the man that is sacrificed because he's worth the most money. Yeah, I think it's interesting because obviously 22 games for Bayern in the Bundesliga, eight goals, six assists. Decent return, that. Like, very, very decent return. I know Hansi Flick's got them playing really well and and there's a lot going on at Bayern at the moment. But equally, you know, that's nothing to be sniffed at and it shows that he still does have that quality and does have that ability. It's, you know, the same kind of return that you're looking at from his Barcelona career, really. 76 games, 21 goals, 11 assists. It's not bad. 
you know, it's not anything to to knock. If you if you show someone that record, they'd be like, yeah, that's very decent for a, for an attacking midfielder. To be frank, that's a good good response. And so, how that then pans out into where he is going to be and where he's going is is a completely different question, right? Yeah, I think so. Look, it's just like. For Barcelona, if the legacy of this deal is that they they got seventy odd appearances out of him, he was okay. Um, they loaned they had, they've got one one proper season out of him. Then they loaned him to Bayern, and then they sold him because they needed money. That is at a loss. It's going to be at a loss. That is not a very good way to use one hundred and twenty million euros. That's that's ultimately where you are with it. He is a good player. So is Dembele. But this deal in, in this context just hasn't really gone to plan, has it? Let's be honest. He was signed in the January when they knew that Andres Iniesta was going to leave the club, presumably the 120 million euro signing in that circumstance is to replace Iniesta and it just, whatever they've tried hasn't worked. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think, I think that that's it. I think at the time he joined, the crowd needed him to fill the void that was being left by Neymar and Iniesta. And in order for that to happen, he had to have a really good start and win everybody over. I think he felt the weight of his transfer fee, I think that he struggled to deal with the expectation of it. And very quickly, things unraveled for him at Barcelona. And yeah, you can look at the stats and say he's done okay, but it's absolutely nothing like what you would have expected of him when he first joined there. Um, he hasn't been helped by the fact they were trying to wedge him into the team and into the system. And actually, I thought Bayern got a really good deal when they signed him on loan. Dean, where do you see his long-term future? Obviously, there's been talk of Chelsea. There's been talk of a couple of other offers. Uh, is there anything you can tell us about where Coutinho looks like he might end up? I mean, the Chelsea rumours, everything I've been told on that is that that's not happening. That's not um, an area that they're looking at right now. They're looking at strikers. They're looking at wide attackers. They're not looking at that kind of creative... Uh, middle player and they're not also thinking of him as a winger so you can rule the Chelsea one out I think uh, won't go back to Liverpool that one won't happen I don't personally see him coming back to the Premier League I don't I don't think that there's going to be an option for that to happen unless it was on a cut price deal when he ends up going to a team that's I don't know maybe a Tottenham or somebody like that um, so I think you've got to look elsewhere and PSG starts to kind of make the most sense a, a club like that who like stars, like like bringing people, bringing the best out of people again. Um, he could go in there. He could, you know, domestically he would be absolutely fine. He'd he'd get loads of assists and goals, and then try to make the difference on the Champions League nights. So maybe PSG, somebody somewhere like that. But um, maybe buy and buy and look at doing something with him as well. Maybe they can try and get a deal done. Okay, Sam, on to number eight, please. Yeah, it's a Barcelona hat trick, boys, and for all the wrong reasons. Uh, Number eight, Antoine Griezmann, 120 million euros as well. So $130 million. Atletico Madrid to Barca as recently as previous summer 2019. So this is the first of the three transfers that we have that is less than one year old. So like we have to be, we have to be fair when we pass judgment. And I think it's only fair that you, you judge what you've seen, but you also try to forecast towards the future a little bit as well. But so far, like I would consider this to have been a bit of a disaster. Um, he's scored some nice goals he's had some nice moments and 12 combined goals and assists in 25 La Liga starts isn't bad statistically it's close to a, a 1 in 2 on goals and assists combined not bad it's not 120 million euros worth of football although is it um, and that's exactly what he is and you would expect that player to obviously tip a team to the next level. He hasn't done that. He's he's not made Barca any better. He hasn't made them a better watch. And I don't think he's made them 
a particularly ruthless outfit either. I think he's actually done the opposite at times. He's confused their style. He's literally got in the way of players at times and invaded on their well-worked and well-worn routines like Messi and Alba. He's tried different positions. Most of them haven't worked. And over the course of the season, his confidence has evaporated. Um, A few months ago, he said he didn't know how to dribble, which is a truly remarkable thing for a 120 million euro World Cup winning attacker to say. Like, that is ludicrous to even consider. For him to say that publicly is, is incredible. And he's also 29. Like, this has kind of snuck up on me a little bit. He's 29 years of age. He turned 29 last month. There isn't like, he's, he's, he's lived quite a lot of a career already. So again, when you project forward, there is just not as much time for him to make this right. And I'd say ultimately he and Coutinho have had a similar issue. It's really hard to share the spotlight with Messi at Barca. It's just it's just terrifically difficult to coexist with him when you are one of those kind of focal point style footballers uh, or attacking flair players. And since Iniesta left, Barca have tried a lot of things. Griezmann, Coutinho, Debele, Malcolm. It's a long list and none of them have really worked. And Griezmann is is in that list fairly, I think. And he, he ranks at number eight because is it more salvageable than Coutinho? Well, he's definitely going to be around next season. Whereas you probably maybe can't say that about Coutinho. And he doesn't have the fitness issues that Dembele does. So he has more of a chance of turning it around. Well, but he also has far less years in the tank than Dembele has. In terms of, you know, you look at Dembele and you think, okay, yeah, even if Dembele doesn't peak until he's 25, he's still got eight years of a career left, really. Whereas you look at Griezmann, you think, what have you got left for? Five, max? Well, I mean, yeah, it depends, doesn't it? I mean, Dembele... Just just judging by his age, has got has got maybe like twelve years left. But again, it depends how his body deals with those injuries, and those injuries are really specific to how he plays. Griezmann's injury record is very good, and yeah. he is the kind of player that can. He, you know what he is, right? He's the support striker, sits off the striker, can dictate a bit of play, can chip in with goals, can work very hard. Like he could, I can see Griezmann doing what what Griezmann does for France and what he did for Atletico for another five years at the top level quite easily. To be frank, <laughs> I don't know what he does at Barca. But there's also a part of me that thinks, well, he's a, he's an excellent player. Surely they can figure this out. But then again, that really hasn't happened for the other one. So why should it happen here? Dean, last week on the pod, you said that you thought Griezmann might leave Barcelona this summer. Obviously, the whole coronavirus pandemic has thrown the transfer window into somewhat of disarray. Yeah. But were there legs in that? Was that something that they were genuinely having a look at? I've, def- I've been told that by a couple of different people that Griezmann... His long-term future at Barcelona is uncertain. And I think this summer, in different circumstances, it could have opened up that that Griezmann would have left um, to look for something else. He just hasn't fitted in. And I think that um, on the pitch, that's not totally his fault because we've mainly seen him as a winger and or a wide forward, and it's just not something that suits him. I don't think when he joined Barcelona that he imagined himself as becoming this superstar wide player because there was no reason to believe that that would be where he would thrive and hasn't been the case. He's played out there 23 times for Barca and you still look back at his performances and say the best ones have come when he's been playing more centrally. Like Sam says, in in a support role to somebody else, maybe he was looking to challenge Suarez more seriously. So I think we'll get another year out of Griezmann at Barcelona now just because of the circumstances that particularly Spanish clubs are going to find themselves in right now. I think that they will be, that that market will be hit quite heavily um, perhaps more so than the Premier League market because the Premier League does, you know, they do bring in more money uh, through broadcasting and whatnot. But um, I do feel a bit sorry for Griezmann. You know, I, I know I've had a dig at him in the past and over his uh, documentary and, and whatnot and saying he's not a legend. 
I still stand by the fact he's not a legend, but he is a very good footballer and there's no reason he shouldn't be able to fit in at a club like Barcelona. He is good enough. Um, I just don't think he's had the opportunity to show it under the two different coaches so far. Maybe as this season had worn on, we might have seen him start to find his feet under Setien. It might have been a bit different. Who knows what we'll see um, whenever this pause ends. But I don't see him spending the rest of his days at Barcelona, put it that way. I think that um, he'll eventually move on, probably be next year if he doesn't turn this around. And there's no doubt that Barcelona are going to start looking um, at players they can move on. There is a cash flow problem from what I'm told and understand. and you know, Coutinho is an obvious one to move on. Then Bele, like we said before, they'll probably give a little longer. But after that, you know, Griezmann, if he doesn't start delivering, they're going to start looking in his direction, I think. I think the fact that the three Barcelona players have been at the bottom of this list is telling in itself. And, you know, since they sold Neymar for all of that money, for 222 million, they've spent just on these three players alone, 100, 200, 345 million euros minimum base fees like you say Sam or on kind of trying to replace him and replace Iniesta who obviously came through the academy and left for for peanuts and having done that all and having with all that in mind it just feels like Barcelona have spent really really badly since kind of adopting their strategy from bringing through players to trying to bring in superstars and it feels like that kind of abandonment of principle in some way has Costs the club quite dearly. Yeah, we've talked about it or, or touched on it in the in the last couple of months that Barca have not felt like a particularly well-run club over the last few years. They haven't used their money wisely. And this conversation really hammers that home, as you say, like north of 300 million euros on Griezmann and Coutinho and Dembele. Like, what have they got for their money there? Like, it was seen as like quite a big win to get 222 million euros for Neymar back in 2017 because that was just a, such an extortionate fee. But if you're going to go and spend that and more and, and not even come close to replicating what he brought you, then it's just a bad decision. And I guess to round this point off with Griezmann, I've, I've ranked him higher than Dembele and Coutinho because I'm not ready to rubber stamp this as a failure just yet. But I think the other two are as good as done. So that's why I give Griezmann the edge and make him eighth. Okay, let's move on to number seven. Barcelona aside for now. Yeah, Barcelona, let's put put them aside for now. Let's talk about some other clubs, shall we? Um, At number seven is Joao Felix, 126 million euros uh, last summer. The man who replaced Griezmann. The man who replaced Griezmann. Benfica to Atletico Madrid last summer, 2019. That's about 136 million dollars. This is the second one that's uh, less than a year old, so uh, we treat it with the same caution. He's uh, this. The, the thing is, like, this is even further complicated by the fact that he's missed two entire separate months this year with injury. So one in October and then one in January, which basically just makes the whole season completely stop start for him, given the fact that he just come back and then the coronavirus hit and forced us to pause. Um, I found this one difficult to judge uh, if you allow a little bit in self-indulgence for a second because obviously those of you that listened to the podcast last season as well as this season will know that we all championed Felix pretty heavily. Um, we championed him ahead of his move. Uh, we worried like concerned mothers when the fee turned out to be quite as high as it did. I was really concerned that it would be too much. Uh, Jack and I met him in New York. I interviewed him. So 
I reference this because, well, I don't want to sound like I'm publicly backing someone that I clearly like, but like, I don't think the talk of him being a flop is particularly fair. I think it's been fairly exaggerated. And I do feel a little bit sorry for him because I really feel like he was just starting to find that form just before we hit the pause. He got two goals and an assist in his last four games. That was against Villarreal, Sevilla and Liverpool. He's really good at Anfield, really strong opponents. And I think there was there's plenty to be excited about this one moving forward. It's just that right now we haven't seen quite so much of it. And I think he's been quite unfortunate with the timings of his injuries and with the virus. We were worried about him under Diego Simeone as well I think is something important to add we were concerned that that move might we said it, it might get the absolute best out of him playing against Costa uh, playing off Costa or Morata and being able to kind of just find that free role that Griezmann kind of vacated in his move to Barcelona but also we were concerned that it might be a you need to do this for the team you need to work hard you need discipline and that might curtail his creative spirit somewhat and it proved to be so in some ways. Obviously, we saw him start, Sam, in his career at, in New Jersey when we saw Athletic absolutely hammer Real Madrid 7-3 and he was almost unplayable. Him and Diego Costa off each other, dovetailing, and it was just incredible to watch. And we were like, right, he's made the right decision. This is going to work. It's going to be perfect. And as the season started, we saw that withdrawal and that creative freedom kind of curtailed in some ways. And it began to be a bit like, oh, maybe Felix doesn't fit. Maybe he needs somewhere where he can express himself a little bit more freely. But like you say, since that break and since coming back from injury, he's looked a little bit more like his old self again. And it, it felt like things were starting to come to a boil and he finally understood where his position was in the team. Yeah, I think we, we need, to, need to be clear on how different his 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 previous season was to this one in terms of you go from a, a possession dominant Benfica side in in a weaker Portuguese league and you move to Simeone's Atletico like talk about night and day tactically and it was going to take some time it will take some more time and there have been many more established players that have tried and failed to make this transition and the poster boy of that is someone he calls a colleague right now and is also a World Cup winner, is Thomas Lamar. Like, Thomas Lamar has has never managed to figure out how to play for this Atletico side. And he's been there for at least a year, year and a half, two and a half years, maybe. Like, Lamar is an excellent footballer, and he's still struggling with it. So this is, this is, a, uh, this is a path that many have trodden, and very few have really come out of it looking any good. And Felix was just on the verge of starting to make that transition. Statistically, he's, he had, he's had a weaker season than Griezmann, but I rank him higher um, obviously, he offers way more promise than Griezmann longevity-wise. He's nine years younger. This deal has a lot of room to grow. And as I say, I think Felix was just starting to show his best and it, it, his season was curtailed at the wrong moment. And we'll see that again quite shortly when it resumes. And I think this will turn out to be, it will turn out to be a success. Yeah, there are very few players as technically gifted as, as Felix in world football. And I think that when you spend that type of money, people give it the benefit of the doubt because... You, you can't buy talent like that very often. And that's why Atleti went and smashed their transfer record by like 50 million euros in order to get him through the door. Like they needed to replace Griezmann. So they went out there and found the best young product pretty much in the world. It was a big gamble to spend so much money on him because they probably could have signed two players for that amount of money that would have integrated into the team probably better and easier and, and made fixes in the team that were needed elsewhere. Um, but the difference is that they've signed a guy that 
has star quality. He has the potential to become the best player in the world. He's a game changer. He'll decide massive occasions. And that will happen. Like, as he develops, he's so young. We mustn't forget that. He's so young. And the next two or three years, we'll really start to see him become a man and bring in different uh, new traits to his game that we haven't seen right now. His, he's got an indecisiveness about him right now. He sometimes makes the wrong decisions. Um, but there's all, equally, you see moments of absolute brilliance from him at, that literally nobody else on the field could even attempt. So in terms of talent, he's got it. It's going to be a case of his mindset. Can he lift himself and make sure that he fulfills his potential to become one of the top players in the world? Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's one of those where this one is easy enough to wait on. I think anyone calling this a flop already is massively, massively overreacting. I think there's been enough signs of life here to suggest that whatever happens, even if it didn't work for him at Atleti, I think that there's enough and they've shown enough that he will, they will recoup quite a lot of that money because of the pure ability that the boy possesses. And ultimately that's going to be what kind of counts here. Who have you gone for ahead of him, Sam? Yeah, in at six is uh, our third and final transfer from this this year, basically less than a year old, is Eden Hazard to Real Madrid from Chelsea in 2019. 100 million euros, bang on. So it's $108 million. Um, this has been surely by far the, the most frustrating season for Hazard. He's just been injured basically for the entire duration of it. Um, transfer market registers him at 23 games missed due to injury so far and had this season carried on, obviously he's currently injured, so he would have missed more. Uh, would have risen to 30 plus, which is absolutely not what you want from your star 100 million euro signing. It's all ankle, lower leg and foot as well. This is a man who has been kicked a lot. Like he's been kicked a hell of a lot because he's a spectacular player. He's produced, what, 10 years at the top of the, at the top level in this game. He's got more than 500 games in his career and he's been battered by defenders the entire time. And this this is a worry. Like that's there's wear and tear. And then there's that. Like this is a problem. But in the games that Hazard has played for Madrid, I actually think he's played quite well. Statistically, it doesn't look great. He scored one goal for the club. Um, and I think he, it was a good goal, yeah. And I think he's only made nine starts in La Liga. Again, just not what you really were asking for from your star signing, particularly when they were so desperate to replace Ronaldo. But this, he's playing. He's a he's a very good player. Like he is superb on his day. He's one of the best. There was a time when I thought, well, this guy could really genuinely be challenging for the third best player in the world position here when Neymar was consistently injured. That's how good he is. So in terms of an investment into what you think is a very good player, like it doesn't really get any better than, yeah, 100 million euros. And has like that made sense at the time. He was 28. He'd come off an exceptional season at Chelsea and he is an elite footballer. It's just the injuries this season, man. It just makes it so hard to judge. I've got him at six because I know he is an elite player. And I don't want to just say, well, look, he's had successive injuries to his ankle. He's finished. Like we can't we can't say that for sure in the way that we, we think we can say with Dembele with the consistent string of hamstring strains that actually that's a massive problem. With Hazard, he's, there's still that element of he could bounce back from this. And if you've got that element and you know he's one of the very best players in the world, then you can project success from this. And that's what I'm doing. I've got him at six because, well, I feel more sure that Hazard works out at Real Madrid than Felix does at Atletico Madrid. Let's put it that way. Do you? See, I I completely and utterly disagree. Um, I think that Eden Hazard is a world-class footballer, like you say. And I think that that's a very fair thing to suggest that he was up there with the best players in the world. But again, 29 years old, £100 million. There's absolutely no chance Real Madrid are recouping that. That's, that's money gone down the drain. 
As in, when you look at Felix and he's played, you know, 28 games as opposed to Hazard's 15, scored six times as opposed to Hazard's one and got, you know, three assists to Hazard's five. I just think that there's there's far more in Felix's locker in terms of long-term potential and ability to decide things for a far longer period of time on top of the fact that Atleti will undoubtedly recoup most of, if not all, their transfer fee when he eventually moves on. I can't believe you've put Hazard ahead of Felix. I think Hazard's, I would argue that Hazard's season is worse than Griezmann's. I mean, Hazard has played like no games. So like he's had a horrendous season. Absolutely. I just clearly have a little bit more faith that, well, no, I'm just, I'm more sure that he will put, he, he, will, he can, he can feasibly put the injuries behind him and be a success. Like he's a better player than Felix. And if he comes back from this latest injury and he's fit, like he's one of the best players in the world again. And like I don't question the decision to sign him. And I would still back him at this point, given the injury history is not particularly bad at this point. It's just this season, he seems to have been fairly unlucky. I project him to just be better for Real Madrid than Felix is for Atletico Madrid. Uh, over the course of a three or four year span, I'd say he's more, I, I would bet him, back him to be more successful. And if that's the case, then the, recoup, the recouping factor doesn't weigh as heavily for me. Because if you get four quality years out of Hazard, and I think you can, then I think it's 100 million euros well spent. So I don't think you can get four years out of him. I don't think at 29 years old, you're going to get four quality years out of Eden Hazard. I think the type of player he is, where he like, relies on explosiveness off the start and speed off that kind of thing. For a 29-year-old, you're, you're looking at maybe two years. It's, it not like Griezmann where, it's not like Griezmann where his, his thing is all based on kind of ghosty movements and that he can kind of drift in and out in a kind of Thomas Muller-esque style Hazard's thing is it's completely based on explosivity well I mean with the ball it is but it's not like he's not a super intelligent wide forward that could feasibly adapt to another thing but I'm also think two years is a bit is a bit of a harsh it might be a bit of a premature assessment on his on his <laughs> on his fitness like he's 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 generally been in, in outstanding physical condition yeah people talk about he gets a bit overweight in pre-season and he's got quite a big backside but He's always made that stuff work to his advantage. And yeah, I think I think saying he's got two years left is is harsh. Oh, two years left at the very top. I'm not saying <laughs> he's got two years left in his career. I mean, two years left at the very, very elite level. I do think you have to, like, you, you can't ignore how bad his output's been this season. Like, I... I I can't question them signing him. Everyone everyone in the world would have signed Hazard for that money, given the opportunity. Um, so it was, a, it was a good signing. Like, there's no doubt about that. Things haven't gone well, though, since he moved there on or off the pitch. Like, in terms of injuries, yeah, okay, that's that's not been great. He's had, um, you know, the foot injuries, had hamstring problems, um, he had his fibula problem recently. So that hasn't that hasn't been ideal. But then you look at his actual output and... The big games that you you buy Eden Hazard for, you know, PSG lost three nil, saw nothing. Um, PSG again, two two, no assists, no goals from Hazard. We've got one Champions League assist from five appearances. Um, and in the, in La Liga, you look at what he's managed to achieve: a, a goal and an assist against Granada, an assist against Leganes, an assist against Ibar. It, these teams aren't these aren't the teams that Real Madrid signed him to make a difference against. They want to make him a difference against Atleti when they drew nil nil. They want him to decide a game against PSG. That's what he's there for. And while Eden Hazard is undoubtedly amazing, he can dribble. He has got the Rabonas. He can he can score goals. He can assist. He can go past people like very few people in the world can go past someone on his day. He's absolutely unstoppable. But can he carry a team 
when you really, really need him to. Like, even at Chelsea, I don't think he did that. He carried them through a season at times, I understand that. But in the biggest games, I've just always questioned whether Hazard's got the ego about him to take it on his shoulders and just go and do it. I don't, I don't question him in that area. I just, I also... I'm very wary of falling into the trap of measuring a player like Hazard for goals and assists and try not to distill it just to that because that's that's just not a fair way of looking at, at the impact he makes in the game. The three markers that he dragged over. You have over to, to Sam. You have to no, judge no, no, someone not, like Hazard. The, not, that is not the to. only way that you judge any footballer at all. I've, I, I accept that Hazard's one goal and one assist in nine starts isn't what you would exactly want from Real Madrid uh, for this season. But when does he actually play badly? Like, that doesn't really happen very often and it doesn't necessarily follow that the statistics suggest he either plays well or he doesn't if he scores and assists or he doesn't that's just not really how it works for Chelsea he plays no, he doesn't he doesn't play badly very seasons. often but he does go missing sometimes yeah how are they different things <laughs> well no playing badly is losing the ball and and you know yeah. actually you know doing bad things in possession going missing is a very different thing oh, I, I don't I don't buy it guys I like I appreciate that he's put together some seasons in the past for Chelsea where he hasn't scored many goals either. You go back to 15-16, he got four goals and 25 appearances. He was still quality. This, like Real Madrid's success is not defined by whether or not Hazard scores in the way that it was when Ronaldo was around. Like They had to diversify the attack. And look, he hasn't played enough games, but he is brilliant. He contributes even if the statistics sheet doesn't show it. And I'm fairly sure that he's going to be fine if he ever gets over the ankle injury that's bugged him all season. Like he'll play at the top level and he'll make Real Madrid better. Like he will be that player. He does have the ego about him. He's so pompous in a good way. Well, there we have it. Some disagreement in terms of where Eden Hazard is. <laughs> I'd have him. I'd have him eighth for what it's worth. Right? Have you got a five? Five. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. So Real Madrid to Juve, 2018, 100 million euros again. So it's 108 million dollars. I think there's going to be some people that disagree with this one uh, down in fifth, but I think the fair way to do this is to judge a large portion of this scenario on the Champions League because you take each transfer by its merits and what 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 they what each club were trying to achieve in signing this player. And Juventus want to win the Champions League, so they signed Mr. Champions League, Mr. Clutch himself, to try and do it. Ronaldo is a man who consistently scores Champions League hat-tricks whenever he wants, and why wouldn't you take that player if that's what you were trying to go? One step further, Juventus always the bridesmaid and never the bride, and they were just sick of it. So they thought, well, we'll just get Ronaldo. So far, that obviously hasn't worked out. They lost last year against Ajax, and at the moment, they are 1-0 down on aggregate to Lyon. Now, obviously, we all agree that we expect Juve to turn that round, but right now, they are 1-0 down on aggregate to Lyon in the round of 16. So some people would say, well, look at what he's done in Serie A and things like that. And look, to be frank, like Juve don't need Ronaldo to win the Scudetto. Like, they've won the last eight, okay? And seven of those... They might have done Ronaldo. this year, to be fair. Maybe, but... If they hadn't have put 100 million euros into Ronaldo, they'd have put 100 million euros or 50 million apiece into two other players and it still would have been fine. It doesn't justify, doesn't quite justify that. I don't think domestic success can really point to success for Ronaldo because Juve was so utterly dominant without him. They don't need to buy Ronaldo and pay him however much money a week, like probably about a million euros a week or something like that to just dominate Italy. I think the European landscape is where this one is judged. So far, it has not worked out. Now he's in fifth, which means like Hazard, I must feel deep down that he's got year three or potentially year two, but then if not year three and year four to achieve this goal. And it's not exactly out of the question, is it? And look, he's a very good player. He's very marketable. He's brought uh, a wider audience to Juve to an extent, although I'm not 
sure exactly how many eyeballs he attracts because Juve were already like a superpower, right? They're already like a, a full-on Champions League semi-finalist, quarter-finalist every single week. But there's still there's still time for Ronaldo to achieve his goal. And it's not like he's played badly. So I've got him in fifth. Although I must admit, I found this one pretty difficult to judge because he hasn't achieved his goals, but he's only had a year and a half to do it. And he is still technically in the Champions League for year two. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? I think interest, I, I was interested because obviously in the Hazard point, you said you can't judge... Hazard on numbers in the way you can Ronaldo and Ronaldo's numbers are 75 played 53 goals 14 assists which is exquisite frankly um, and I think I've talked a lot about recouping value here and I, I don't know why but it's something that really jumps out to me when we're talking about these kind of big money moves as something that's very important and obviously you're not going to get 100 million pounds back for Cristiano Ronaldo obviously He's, you know, into his mid-30s. But he is probably the most marketable person in the game. You know, David Beckham aside, perhaps. He's, you know, in terms of what... I'd, I always hate the chat about shirt sales covering up the amount that people play for things. But I think that he might be an exception. I think that no the way. amount... No way do they sell enough shirts to cover no, his no, 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 no. I'm not, no I'm not suggesting that. But what I'm suggesting is, is that in terms of commercial value and what he actually adds to the brand, he will have recouped a significant portion of what they're outlaying on him for commercial value, for eyes, for shares, for stocks, all of those things in Juventus have gone through the roof. And I think that for Serie A in general... This move has been unbelievable. I think it has brought Serie A massively kicking and screaming back into the spotlight. And for what it's worth, I would have Ronaldo higher here. I think that his outlay, his importance to this team and what he brings on uh, off the pitch level to so many different aspects of what Juventus are. Bear in mind that Juventus have won the Champions League. They're not like a, a, a PSG or a Man City who have this burning bugbear that they've never won Europe's elite tournament. Juventus won it in when it was in the Champions League era. They won it in 1996. It's not like, yes, that's a long time ago, but it's not like they've never won it. And I don't think that for them in the same way that like PSG have this unbelievable craving to win this tournament and be accepted at the table of Europe's elite in the same way that Man City do, I think that it's a little bit different for Juventus. Don't no, I can't agree. I think they're as obsessed, genuinely. I think they've had enough success in Serie A to be like, no, this is great and everything, but we keep losing finals and this is on. So we're going to go that one step further. I think the, the Agnelli family who control Juventus are just as desperate to be recognised as Champions League champions as Man City are and as PSG are, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Ronaldo's too low on this list. I mean, <laughs> of course he's been worth the money. I mean... Juve have this desire to be one of the top five clubs commercially as well as in football terms. And Ronaldo was massive for them in both senses. And he's done much better in Italy than I think a lot of people are giving him credit for. I know Sam watches loads of Ronaldo, so I'm not going to question um, in that sense. But on a more general point of view, you hear people talking on, on radio stations and TV stations and saying they don't think Ronaldo's kind of lived up to his billing since he joined Juve. Well, he has. He's got played 75 games, got 53 goals and 14 assists. And even when Sam says there about, um, you know, they'd win Serie A without him. Well, no, this season they probably wouldn't have, actually. I think if you look at since um, the last few months of the season or when we could look at the last few months of the season Ronaldo was being decisive time and time again you know almost every game was being decided by one or two goals and Ronaldo was making a difference in those games you know look at 
Spell re- uh, most recently uh, scored in a 2-1 win. Um, there was a game against Fiorentina. He scored two in a 3-0 win. The game against Parma, he scored two in a 2-1 win. Roma, he scored one in a 2-1 win. So all of his goals were actually really, really important. If they weren't match winners, then they certainly contributed to the actual win, which they wouldn't have got without him. Now, I think the other thing that's difficult to judge with Ronaldo and to compare him now at Juve compared to how he was at Real Madrid and, and Man United, and this is a bit of a strange one, but we should also remember that this is the era of VAR being introduced. And I don't think we should underestimate how that could actually impact on goal scoring numbers going forward and how we compare one era or one club to another. It's going to become really difficult to compare your halls because uh, pre-VAR, Ronaldo might have got six different goals that were slightly offside that he got away with that wouldn't get away with now. Or the flip might have got a couple of penalties, penalty shouts that he wouldn't get now. And that's going to actually become a wider issue as we go forward when people compare, say, Mbappe to Ronaldo and Messi, Messi because it's so difficult to judge um, with VAR and without it. But anyway, away from that, um, look, Ronaldo's worth the money. It doesn't. If he'd have been complete flop, I just think he's he's too low on this list, can, considering some of the names that haven't been mentioned yet, especially. I think so. Ronaldo, it's like a, it's like a pending judgment, and mm. I really, I really, I, I will, I will judge this transfer as either a, a, a roaring success if they manage to win the Champions League with him, or a fairly colossal failure financially, at least uh, in terms of wages and output. Um, if they don't, because there's no need to sign Ronaldo. Uh, for the money they did and for the the wages that they put him on for for Juventus to sign him to do anything other than win the Champions League if they don't win it then this was this was not necessary and like you you referenced the important goals like if it's not him mate it's somebody else is doing it like this is this is 100 million euros in the budget that's two players or maybe one excellent player and another okay player and Juventus share that load like they beat Spal. They beat Palmer. Like somebody else scores the goals. Like yes, he's the one doing it. But that doesn't mean that he has been a resounding success for Juventus because Juventus will just do that regardless whether or not it's, it's Ronaldo. I don't think uh, you can say that anyone else would just go and score fifteen goals in eight games or whatever he got. Like there's not many players no, in the no, world that can do it. Who else is doing that? Per- it's not necessarily a single person. It's the team would do it. Juventus has done it for seven straight seasons. Napoli put up ninety plus points and still lost the title. Like. Ronaldo has not made a difference in Serie A. They always, Juventus will always win this league. They always find a way. It doesn't matter what happens in in Italy. It's about the Champions League. This is why they spent the money on him. It's what they're obsessed with. And as it stands, like he hasn't done it. So I can't call this a success right now because I don't think that Juventus would be in any different a position. Bear in mind what they've done over the last two years is win the Supercoppa and won Serie A. They do that with or without him. So it doesn't matter. Okay, all right. Just before we move on to number four, Sam, if say we were doing this in in an alternative universe in July and Juventus had won the Champions League, would Ronaldo be top of this list? Um, <laughs> to be honest, the the list took me so long to figure out that I de- I'm not sure I can answer that question with ten <laughs> seconds. He'd be in the top three without without a shadow of a okay. doubt. All right, cool. um, and he and he'd be jostling be jostling for a spot. Uh, but there is a very clear like top two. Um, so to, to to get into that area would still be a huge jump up. Okay, all right. Who's at number four then? Four, you're going to hate this, is Paul Pogba to Juventus. No, sorry, excuse me. I'll do that again. So four is Paul Pogba, Juve to Man United in 2016. So 105 million euros with all the add-ons, I think, uh, which is about $113 million. Now, I've been talking about how some of these have been hard to judge. Pogba is the one (laughs) that I've toed and throwed on the most. I think there are two very distinct and two quite militant sides to this one. Um, and it has been the toughest to judge. 
So what United bought and have and will eventually sell in Pogba is a brilliant footballer, World Cup winner, a midfield master and well, one of the one of the most aesthetically pleasing footballers that I've ever seen play in the flesh. I don't say that lightly. Like some players just blow you away and he glides across the pitch. He is phenomenal. The problem United have is that the peak version of Pogba that I associate with in my brain and that France won the World Cup with doesn't rear its head all of the time. Even if you take this season, which has just been full of injuries and put it aside... He's never strung together those levels of consistency that United have wanted or that a fee of 100 million euros have essentially demanded. And the trophy hall, a Capital One Cup and a Europa League, it's not exactly top table stuff, is it? But where are you falling into the trap of judging an entire trophy hall against one player, which is slightly contradictory given what I've just said about Ronaldo. But given that he he is essentially bought to tip them over the edge and hasn't done it yet, I feel comfortable with that. Not all of United's failures are Pogba's fault. And I think you compare the supporting cast from United to when he plays really well for France and you can understand why it's going so wrong. And to take a page from Jack's book, he's high up because I think he's been fine and I think they're going to make a profit on him. And if we, if we, if we agree that, um, that a resale value here can, can, can garner some success, then what Pogba's brought to United over four years, plus if you make a profit on him, like it's not a particularly high bar but that's quite good. Yeah, I mean, I, I might have had Pogba bottom. And that's not Pogba's fault. It's Man United's fault. Because Pogba, like you say, was and is still one of the best footballers in the world. And he can, aesthetically, he's unbelievable to watch. And that's what Man United signed from Juventus. And the fact that they've not seen that season after season isn't necessarily his fault. Like, part of it is, of course, like his body language doesn't always help. Um, things like that. And there have certainly been spells where he hasn't played great, but they very rarely played formations that suit him. I think the Premier League anyway is a difficult league for Pogba because you don't get as much time on the ball. And, and there are times he likes to dwell a little bit because he likes to pick out the perfect pass or the perfect cross. Um, and so he gets caught sometimes. I just think that this move hasn't worked for anyone, really. I think that for United, it's been... Um, part of a bigger problem it's and for Pogba a lot of the finger pointing that's come in the last three years has has come at him you know him and Lingard I think have got a lot of the flack for United being poor generally when actually the whole club has just been mismanaged until the last few months really when things have started to pick up and just happens that Pogba hasn't been in the team at that point so the fans aren't really fussed about whether he stays or goes at this stage the big test will be when Pogba does leave Man United, like Sam says, it might actually be that they make a bit of money on him. Um, but who cares? If he if he goes to back to Juventus or he moves to Real Madrid and is a success, that is a disaster for Man United because it just proves what a dysfunctional club it's been over the last three or four years. Um, and for Pogba, I bet he can't wait to get that move because, you know, a breath of fresh air for him, a new club, new environment, new squad, new way of playing is exactly what he needs. And I'm quite excited, to be honest, to see what he does leave Man United, what happens next. You can't hold all of that against him right now, though. Like, it's it, you, can't, you can't quite hold the future if he plays well against him. Now, I know you're not, but it's important to make that... Yeah. To make that clear, like it would be a disaster if he goes and plays out of his skin, but it would be symbolic of how the clubs are run. Man United fans are constantly looking at the the Pogba for France and thinking, well, you know, where is where is that? But it's slightly different when you play alongside Kante than when you play alongside Scott McTominay, I guess. Um, yeah. But Pogba, Pogba, I think has been largely good, um, treated quite poorly at times by certain sections of the media uh, and to an extent by 
Jose Mourinho. And I'm not I'm not Pogba's biggest fan, to be frank. Like his inconsistency irritates me. And I, I honestly thought I'd be the last person going into bat for him at times. But um I think he's been pretty good for United injuries aside. And if you can make a profit on a player who has been pretty good for you uh four years later, then I think you do I think I think you've you've actually basically landed upon quite a good transfer. Um you talked about how he hasn't hasn't been a great deal. Um I don't think Dembele, Coutinho, Griezmann, Felix, Hazard, or Ronaldo so far have proved to be particularly at deals that have been particularly worth it to the clubs in question. And um, it just follows the theme that actually this exercise of 100 million euros or more has been kind of ill-fated more more often than not. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think that when you look at them as a, as a whole, this these transfers, like you say, those three at six, seven and eight, Hazard, Felix and Griezmann are all one seasons. It's hard to judge them purely on that. This is a much longer experiment, if you will. And But I just think that with Pogba, when Man United bought him, that was a talismanic signing. You don't spend a hundred million on someone for them not to be the kind of focal point of your team. And Pogba's probably the player in this list who sits deepest on the pitch for that every single other one of these players Coutinho maybe is someone who plays in midfield but apart from that every single one of them is a forward and Pogba is the man that Man United should have gone okay we've spent 105 million you know on a on a central midfielder we now build this team around him and they failed to do that almost spectacularly at times and given that when you look at everyone else, they're making a difference at the sharp end. Pogba's stats, pretty stand up for a centre midfielder, 31 goals, 31 assists in 150 games. That is not bad. And, you know, I think something that comes to mind, something that always springs to mind when you're talking about Paul Pogba is that Man United fans who came out to bat for him always made the point that he makes the most ball recoveries. He makes the most tackles. He makes, you know, the, the most difference in, in both ends of the pitch. And then given that he wanted the kind of freedom to do what he likes in the middle. I think he's done a fairly good job for United most of the time when he's been on the pitch. And the fact that he will leave them, you know, if not for a profit, then at least for something very similar to what they paid for him after this run where he's been, you know, yes to blame off the pitch in terms of some people's opinion, but on the whole ha- has been quite good on it. Yeah, I'm with you, Sam, but I think this is, I think this is a decent transfer. I appreciate that. <laughs> Who's above him then? <laughs> right. Into number three, Neymar, 222 million euros. That's $240 million. That was Barca to PSG a lot of money. in 2017. It is a transfer that Barcelona have regretted since the day it happened, although obviously they didn't have control of it. It was a release clause. I uh, don't think PSG have regretted an awful lot of this one, apart from a couple of key absences, which have almost sort of stopped us from truly measuring this one. And I have to admit there was going to be there were going to be echoes of, of Ronaldo here because Neymar was was brought in for a reason. And I would say so far that has been largely unfulfilled. Obviously, PSG desperate to win the Champions League, not necessarily counting on Neymar specifically to do that. But they haven't even come close to winning the Champions League. And he's been absent for the most important game. So I almost feel a little bit for him here. 2018, missed the Real Madrid round of 16 game. 2019, missed the Man United tie. Injuries at this time of the year have been really poor. The difference, of course, is 2020 rolls round. He scores in both legs against Borussia Dortmund. And PSG are into the quarterfinals and the, the round of 16 monkey is off their back. So trying to figure out like which has been more of a success between Neymar and Ronaldo, because there are serious echoes between them, I tried to distill it down to, and I think I came up with four, I've tried to come up with four reasons. 
you might so the argument that PSG were just dominating Liga regardless in the same way that Juve were without Ronaldo technically not true Monaco won the league about two months before Neymar signed for PSG now obviously he is not the sole reason they've gone on to win it again Monaco uh, also sold Mbappe to PSG and that helped um, Neymar I saw a report of the day that he's about he's allowed to go for 180 million euros now happy to tap into Dean here and ask him about this situation but it ticks the box of they're going to make their money back on Neymar more or less I think well you say that I don't see who can buy him at the moment you know that's very well I'm saying that, but um, I've written before and talked before about players being stuck at clubs and on the back of this, the coronavirus um, and the way the transfer market changes, um, more and more players are going to be stuck at the clubs that they're at. And if Neymar isn't happy at PSG, then um, he might have to get used to it. I mean, there have been signs this year that he's been happier. People say that uh, around the clubs say he has seemed like he's enjoying it more. And I think that that has been reflected in, in what we've seen on the pitch. But Barcelona certainly can't afford to buy him back at the moment. You know, they've got other issues and they couldn't afford him really last year when they tried. Um, Madrid aren't really that interested. They just got involved in it last time for the sake of it. Um, they've, got other pri- <laughs> they've got other priorities. And so PSG are going to keep Neymar for now. And I agree, like he has definitely started to make the difference in, in those games, like you say, in the Champions League. And it's been really good to see that because I'm obviously one of his biggest critics. And my big question is that in terms of value, if you talk about value for money, is Neymar really 100 million better than everyone else in this list? And at the moment, no, he's not. Like if he if he leads PSG to the Champions League title, then then that's the difference. That's where that money and that, that figure comes in. But, you know, like injuries have been so key and there's, he's missed so much of the last few seasons. He missed 17 games this season, 22 the year before. And I think it was a similar number the year before that. Um, and his trophy count is pretty much what you would expect of, of any average French campaign. Um, he's won the league a couple of times. He's won a, two domestic cups, I think. So, they're all trophies that PSG probably would have won without him. As it stands right now, he hasn't been worth that money. Um, there's no way you can say he's been worth that money because I, I don't see everybody, everyone in my towns that walking around in a Neymar shirt. I'm not sure about you. So from a marketability <laughs> point of view, I don't believe that he's in the same bracket as, as Ronaldo and Messi. Um, and from you see people a, walking around with Ronaldo and Messi shirts in your uh, town as well. What, you, see PS, you see PSG shirts around, around your town? London, I see yeah. PSG shirts all the time. Yeah, I do. I think I think that their marketability. I think there's been a lot of it. I think there's been a lot of different avenues that they've you know employed this. You look at the Jordan deal. You look at all of those things. But I see PSG stuff all the time now, all the time. And I don't think Neymar is the sole cause of this. Like I say, I think they've diversified really well in terms of marketing perspective and a, and a commercial perspective. But I do think that Neymar going to the club brought massive eyeballs to PSG. And it was the first real mega move that everyone was like, geez, PSG are making something. I own a Neymar shirt now, as in I got it as a gift, but I didn't buy it. But like, at the same time, like I would definitely not have that if Neymar wasn't there. Like, I own a Ramadan Sobi shirt, mate, but there's no relevance to that. But, you know, like I definitely wouldn't have been... You got given that by Ramadan Sobi. I won that in a competition that, like... That, that wouldn't have been going on if Neymar wasn't at PSG. Like, they wouldn't have been giving away a PSG shirt if Neymar wasn't there. And I think that in itself speaks to the, the kind of marketability he's had for that club. It's been at least a partial success in that, in that instance. And one of, the, one of the, the key things that, as we've been going through this list is, is the projection element. And we have talked quite a lot over the last few months about how we, we basically all agree that PSG are a different animal this year 
and they have a chance at winning this Champions League. And now with that with that round of 16 thing gone and with Neymar making the difference in those games, like they, they, there is a chance that PSG win the Champions League this year. They're, they are a legitimate outfit. And that, that I've made room for that in the projection. Like it's, it's very possible that this Neymar deal pans out. Like very possible. Even if they don't sell him and make all their money back, which is also still possible, it's possible this is a success on the pitch as well as in the marketing department and in the financial department when they eventually sell him. I think it ticks quite a lot of boxes um, and it's, it's a little bit unfulfilled right now but I guess I'm saying I think I think it will I think it will eventually work out, even if it has taken a little bit longer, a couple of years maybe, to do so. Yeah. Okay. Right. You said there was a big, big chasm between everyone else in the top two. So let's get into that top two. Yeah. So like, see, so Neymar, like, I think it could pan out, but two two hundred twenty-two million euros is a hell of a lot of money. Like Pogba, Ronaldo, all these guys, they cost a lot. They've done okay, but this guy, this guy at number two, Gareth Bale, has achieved a lot for Real Madrid, and he moved for a hundred million. Back in 2013, Tottenham to Real Madrid, that's again $108 million. Am I right in thinking that's the first $100 million move? It is, isn't it? Um, you are so, correct. Yeah. yeah. So he's uh, he's a flag flyer in that regard. And to be honest, I put that, I put this list together, first draft, put Bale second, read it back and went, what? That's not right. What have I done there? I must have put him somewhere else by accident. But then I looked down the list and I was like, no, nah, I can't. I can't find a reason to move this guy down. Not that I was trying to. It just didn't feel right. And I think it's because of the recency bias. The current perception of Bale is not great. And he is not helping it. Wales, golf, Madrid, in that order. The flag said it all. But wind it back to 2013. And you take the first four years of his Real Madrid career. He was a huge success. Like, not only has he started and scored in Champions League finals and won four Champions League trophies. He started and scored in key games in La Liga and in the Copa del Rey in 2014. He scored that ridiculous sprinting goal against Barcelona and Mark Bartra. Scored a bicycle kick against Liverpool in 2018. He scored 100 goals for Real Madrid. Like, How many people could genuinely claim to have done that? It has gone sour. He's paid a lot of money a week right now to play golf. But when you compare him to the other 100 million plus transfers... Like he's head and shoulders above so many of them in terms of what he's achieved. He costs the same as what Hazard, right? I mean, Hazard, they've just paid the same money. So, I mean, when you look at, if you're looking at value for 100 million euros, I mean, Bale, what he's achieved over six, seven years and what you're going to get out of Hazard, I don't think Hazard's going to come close, to be honest. I mean, as Sam says, you know, uh, Madrid have won the Champions League four times since he joined and You have to remember that before he joined, they hadn't won the Champions League for quite a long time. And I'm not saying that Bale has changed all of that. He's obviously, it's been a team effort and obviously Zidane had a a big impact in that as well. But, um, you know, winning those four Champions League, he's been pivotal to it, particularly that overhead kick against Liverpool in 2018, probably worth 100 million alone, to be honest. Um, And I think that, I just think Bale deserves more respect you think of David Beckham when he was at Real Madrid and how Beckham is now remembered for being at Real Madrid. People remember him really fondly and obviously he did do well there. But he didn't come close to winning the kind of accolades that, that Bale's got sitting in his trophy cabinet at home. I think Beckham won La Liga once right at the end, didn't win the Champions League in a team that should have done better. Um, so I just think Bale doesn't get the respect he deserves because of the more recent seasons, like Sam says. But when you weigh up this transfer, when you consider that 
he moved there as a world record signing and everything that was on his shoulders, all the pressure that was on him. The fact that he's overcome three or four times the entire crowd turning on him. Um, almost every summer, there's a campaign to get him out of the club and he stays and he proves himself again and again. And OK, we're probably winding down now and he probably should leave. It probably is time to go. But Gareth Bale, in terms of value for money, is a £100 million pound si- a euro signing has been really, really good deal. I think the the way to look at this, and I really like what you said there, Dean, about Hazard, is if Hazard, we were looking back at Hazard in a couple of years, and he had won four Champions Leagues, three Super Cups, four Club World Cups, a Spanish Super Cup, a Spanish Cup, and a La Liga title. He'd scored 105 goals and got 67 assists in 250 games. We'd be like, that was an unbelievable bit of business. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about the here and now. And of course, like the days of social media, like this is, we do live like this, this minute is more important than five minutes ago. And this season is more important than five seasons ago. But if you were to sit down today and everybody has actually got time to do this, so maybe we should just do this, watch the last seven seasons of Real Madrid. And let's, let's actually remember, <laughs> let's actually remember, we could probably do this in one day, um, what Gareth Bale has actually contributed over that period of time. And I think maybe Zidane should do this as well because he disrespects him at the moment. Um, And just kind of realise that, yeah, okay, this guy's given a lot. And while he does play a lot of golf right now, maybe he deserves to relax. (laughs) He shouldn't be being paid 500 (laughs) grand a week or whatever it is to... uh... No, I can't defend his... But then again, Madrid agreed to pay him that. You know, that's their problem as well. It'd be nice if he showed just a little bit of towing the company line, though, huh? Putting Madrid third in the line (laughs) behind his his nation and literally a recreational sport. Yeah, it wasn't a great moment for him. I think that was one. Yeah, it all got to him a bit that day, I think. Yeah, I think he just got got carried away. But look, yeah, looking yeah. back, and a theme through this list is these these a lot of these transfers just haven't necessarily panned out, or at least have not produced what the buyer intended for them to at this point in time. Bale has paid for himself, and so he's in the top two. And to be honest, he was a contender for number one, which I guess we can move on to now. And it's the only one left. So you guys know who it is, right? Kylian Mbappe. Kylian Mbappe. It's Kylian Mbappe. Uh, now this like comparing him and Bale was a really weird experience, just because like mm. again, it's like you've got. You've got one half of the argument, which is your projection and your marketing and the fact that you're going to not just make your money back with Mbappe, you're probably going to triple their money um, versus what Bale has tangibly achieved, which is the ultimate success in club football. Um, So it was a bit of a toss up between the two. But I went from Mbappe at number one, went 135 million euros, so it's $146 million, Monaco to PSG in 2017 on loan first and then made it permanent later, I think due to FFP things. Um, He's got 117 goals by the age of 21 off about 180 appearances. He's better than a one in two ratio and he's a World Cup winner. Uh, We talked about... Neymar um, furthering PSG's brand and with us seeing PSG merch. I think Mbappe has been as big uh, and as important to that drive as Neymar. I think he's been perfect for them, to be frank. Amazing on the pitch, a truly sensational footballer. No off-field noise. He's one of the coolest footballers around. He's managed to fuse PSG's basketball and football thing together very, very well. And none of these things are weighted completely equally. But I think Mbappe has been a star for the club in, in every conceivable way. And if he goes, when he goes, I mean, we've talked about it, Dino, on the, in, in previous pods. We're talking three, four hundred million, aren't we, to Real Madrid? That's essentially what, what the what the tea leaves are saying. And if you're going to sign a teenager for 135 million euros under your watch, he's going gonna, gonna to lead you to silverware. He's going to become a World Cup winner. He's going to be one of the most recognised footballers in the world. And then he makes you a, a huge profit. Like that's that's just brilliant. I'm sure I don't I don't I don't. 
think even Bale's achievements, and maybe again it's the recency bias, bias just souring the last couple of years for me, I don't think it quite compares. Yeah. I think the trick with that is that, you know, the Bale thing hasn't been perfect. Like you say, Mbappe has been perfect from the moment he arrived to right now. There doesn't appear to be a blemish on the copybook. There is simply nothing negative that you can almost say about this transfer. And that in itself speaks volumes, right? Yeah, I mean, I've said there before that I think they overpaid for Neymar, but they certainly have made up for it by signing Kylian Mbappe when they did. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for that top 10. A fair amount of that we disagreed with there, but I think everyone is pretty clear with Kylian Mbappe being numero uno. All that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Sam Tai. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Dean, as well. Thanks to Dean and Dylan. Oh my goodness! Right, lads. Can you guess who? Can you guess who's just come home? What a day! What a day Goodbye. this has been. Goodbye from me and Dylan. Rag Squad. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure as always. Stay home. Stay safe. Make sure you're looking after your loved ones at this difficult time. We will continue to produce you Rag Squad content, and we will be back next week. Take care now. Bye bye.